Well, good morning, everybody. Again, um, op- why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew 1. It'll be our text for this morning. Um, it is, for me, always a an honor <clears throat> to come before you and and open God's word with you and study it. Uh, again, especially during this time of, of Christmas where we're preparing for um, to celebrate the, the birth of our Savior. And a lot, a lot of things come to mind, right, if we, if we think about Christmas. Um, and it, if you're like me, Christmas is, is your favorite time of year. Um, certainly is mine by far. Um, just knowing that, that Christmas is, is a few days away, like that automatically fills, fills my heart with joy. Not only because that means my grading is going to be almost done and I could finally get on break, but also just to, to, to be with family celebrating our Savior. And with that, a lot of, a lot of, my, a lot of images come to mind. Uh, so you think of Christmas, what, do you, what, what comes to mind? What images? Do you think of a, a Christmas tree perhaps? Uh, maybe some fresh baked cookies? For some reason, I was thinking about this yesterday. Christmas, Christmas pajamas with Baby Yoda and a Santa hat. I don't know. I haven't seen that, but it's just it's just there. Um, you think of uh, snow, right? Christmas and snow it just, it just seems to go together. Uh, not in California, or not in uh, where we are, not in SoCal, but um, but you, you think of snow. Think of um, just think of, of the windows with um, with snow around them. The frosted panes, if you will, maybe some some candles gleaming inside, some painted. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna sing it. Uh, if you guys if you guys were following, uh, I, I wasn't gonna sing it. Um, so you have all these images coming in Christmas, but one image has captivated my mind recently, uh, and it is really much the season, the reason for the season, and that is the nativity scene. I grew up seeing the nativity scene, and it was automatically, in my mind, put into the category of Christmas decor, and that was kind of it. Um, it was like, I see baby Jesus out, Christmas time is around the corner, that means everything else is going to be coming too. And I just, so I started meditating on that and asking myself, well, what do I think of now? And I want to ask you guys that. What do you think of when you see the nativity scene? What do you feel is it just another Christmas image? Does it fall into that same category? And I think it we can. I think it can. I, I think it could get, we could get very used to seeing that image of our Savior as a baby in a manger, right, in a feeding trough for animals, and lump that in with the rest of the Christmas images. So what I want to do today is pause during this Christmas season and just look at the nativity scene. Just look at Jesus in the manger. I want to focus on Jesus in the manger. I want to focus on our on the savior of the world being being wrapped in linen inside this feeding trough where there is nowhere else for him to lay his head. And it cannot be an image that merely gives us that Christmas season excitement. It has to be it has to be more than that. That image must burrow itself into our hearts and bring us to our knees. And it needs to bring us to a place of, of confoundment and of wonder. But I think you could only get there 
if you, if you understand why that baby had to come in the first place. So this is what we're going to see in our passage. I want to focus on two reasons why this baby was born to us. And this is by no means comprehensive. I was meditating on this last night, and I was just, I had many, many, <laughs> I started, my, my sermon started getting too long. Uh, and I said, well, let me just narrow it down to what's in the text. So there are, there are many reasons why Jesus came. But I want to focus on two. Now, those two reasons that we see in our text are, is this. The baby came to save us from our sin. That's the first reason. The baby came to save us from our sin. And the second reason, this baby came to reign over us. And I think these truths, like the, the image in, in, of a manger, could become so familiar to us that, that we take it for granted. But my prayer is that you'll be moved to worship the Lord Jesus even more, that you'll be humbled by the amount of power and responsibility that's placed on this little baby, and that you'll be challenged to live humbly before the Lord. That's my hope as, as we look at these two reasons. So read with me. We're in Matthew 1. Uh, let me see here. And we're going to start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's the reason. For he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, we read this familiar story of a virgin being found um, to be with child. And not just a sh- child, Lord, but but God incarnate. The, the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. And Lord, when we keep reading, that in itself is, is amazing, but we keep reading, Lord, we, we see that he came to save us from our sins. That this precious, innocent baby will live a righteous life and die for, for, for our sins so that we could be with you, so that we could be reconciled to you and not just reconciled and having a clean slate, but, but we could be your sons and daughters. What an amazing story this is. And I pray, Father, as we study it, as we look over these, these different truths that we see in, in, in our passage, that it would be refreshed in our minds, that we will be um, renewed in, in, our, in our zeal to worship you, to proclaim you. And to pray, Lord, that you would bless this time as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our first reason I want to look at, and we're going we're gonna to go into uh, chapter 2 in our passage here. Uh, but the first reason we're going to look at is uh, why this baby, baby Jesus, had to come and be born is because he came to save us from our sin. That's our first reason we're going to look at. 
Now, I find that, that when you look at the nativity scene, I, I feel like we could be a little bit one-sided. Uh, we think we can look at the, the good news of, of that scene, of that the, the Messiah is born, um, that there's a lot of joy and hope and peace between God and mankind just because of this baby. Uh, and all that is true and all that is good and all that gives us reason to rejoice. But it cannot be divorced from the humbling truth and I think probably a scary truth for for many of us, and for especially if, 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 you don't, if you're not trusting Christ, that we need this baby to come in the first place because we are in grave danger without him. When we see that baby in the manger, you can't help, help to ask yourself, why did that baby have to come? And as you look through scriptures, you're, you're confronted with your own hopelessness. You're conf- confronted with your helplessness, with your lostness, with your depra- depravity. When you, and all that happens when you see Jesus in the manger. Now, why is that? Why is it when you look at Jesus in the manger, I'm saying this? Because that's usually not the feeling, right? If you, if you go through um, just any kind of secular um, nativity scene and, and ask, like, what, what is that? It's, it's decor. It, it makes you feel good. Um, it's Christian tradition, whatever the case. But when we see that Jesus, we ask ourselves, why is he here? And the reason why he's here is because we are incapable of earning God's favor. That's why Jesus is here. That's why that baby is in a manger. We are unable to save ourselves, and we have sinned against God and must therefore be rightfully judged. That's a message. We see that message throughout the Bible. Right? We, we, and you guys are familiar with this, that we read that there is none righteous, right? not one, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read that even in our hearts, the heart of men, the very depths of who we are, from that heart comes evil thoughts, comes sexual immorality, comes death, murder, adultery. You know, the list goes on and on. We are confronted with our need when we see Jesus in the manger. Now, I know this is not exactly the kind of messaging that you hear at Christmas. It's not definitely if you watch a Hallmark movie, you're not going to get that. Um, and, and, I mean, we always hear joy and good tidings, and, and all that is true, but the, 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 at the heart of that, the reason why there's joy and good tidings is because we are saved. It's because our sin is no longer on us. The Messiah has come. He is born. And it's a humbling image. And you can only uh, truly appreciate that joy if you understand your own hopelessness. If you can understand just how frightful the situation that we're in without Christ then that joy would be exponentially more greater. And I just think, what a humbling image. Here we are, unable to save ourselves, and we're looking at a baby. We're looking at this little defenseless baby that, that, that was born to us. And, and the reason why I think it's so humbling is because we often like to think that we are the ones helping others. Right? That, that there's someone weaker than us, we're the ones to help them. They're not the ones to help us. And yet, God brings us to our knees in front of this baby because we need that baby to save us. And that's not the, uh, that's not the first time we see that. Right? You think about uh, scriptures. That's not the first time that, that God's salvation plan rested on a little baby 
And I was reminded of Moses. You know, Moses was put in a little wicked basket and placed on the Nile. And there goes, there goes Moses, the, 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 the person who God's going to use to rescue Egypt from, from 400 years of bondage. There goes Moses on this Nile. And, and I was just thinking, if, if I was a, uh, an Israelite back then, and I, saw, and I knew Moses was going to do this, and I see him going down Nile, I just think, okay, I'm going to run in that Nile and save him because there's no way that could be safe. There's no way that baby flying down Nile could actually rescue us, even the situation he's in. God, um, you know, I would ask myself, God, isn't there a better way? And I think we're faced something similar. We're faced with a baby lying in a manger, right, that feeding trough surrounded by animals, and he is the one who will save us from our sin. I'm going to ask the question then, how? How does this baby save us? How is a baby being born suddenly makes a difference? Well, the huge difference is because of who that baby is. Right, look at the next verse. I think Matthew was headed there. Matthew writes that he, uh, in verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. But look what he says in the next two verses. Now all this took place to fulfill what has spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a name, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. To me, it's almost like Matthew knew that putting so much hope in a baby seemed kind of daunting. It, was, it seemed a difficult thing to do at the time, right? Not knowing who this baby is uh, to his readers. But he backs it up with scripture, and he backs it up by telling us who this baby is. This baby is God with us. This baby is God in the flesh among, among us. He is the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. And while being completely man, he is completely God. And even as he lies there in the manger, think about this. Even as he lies there in the manger, he doesn't lose his, his God nature. He's still 100% God. And he is upholding all things. That baby. He is the image of the invisible God. It couldn't just be a baby like Moses. Moses had a purpose, but this baby has a, is going to provide a greater salvation. We need our sins forgiven. And so what did God do? We needed our sins forgiven, so what did God do? God condescended to us. He became fully human, starting his life as a baby. You think about all the possible ways God could have saved us. This is the only way. He became as, he started life as a baby, like we all have done, but yet he is still fully God. And it needed to happen that way because he needed to be God, pure, holy, free from sin. And he needed to be human so that he can be that perfect substitute on the cross. I think what we're, we're, we're looking at in this miracle of a virgin being, becoming pregnant, that in itself is in, in, incredibly miraculous. But even if you go beyond that, it is... The baby inside the womb is God himself. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. I think 1 Timothy is going to kind of talk, talk about the, the need here that Jesus being man, 
Uh, so First Timothy, let's see here. First Timothy two. And I want to start with um, with verse four here. Okay, so God who desires all men to be saved. We're in First Timothy two verse four here. God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so it tells you a little bit of, of God's desire there. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. We look at, at the incarnation. We look at, at Jesus being born as a man. And, and in, in, this, in this verse here, we see that we need him to be a man and we need him to be God. Because then that w if, if any of those things were not true, we do not have a mediator. We do not have a way for us to get to God. He is our mediator between God and man. And that's what we see in Jesus in the, baby in, in, in Jesus in the manger. We are looking at a loving God in action. And that loving God, his desire is for us, his desire is for us to be saved. And because of his desire, because of his love for us, he came down in a manger as a baby. He came down to rescue the lost. He came down to free us from the bondage of sin. And so that nativity scene, it's not, it can't just be a decoration. It is a tangible reminder of God's love for you. That he would come down and not only take on flesh, which by itself is, is an amazing act of humility, but he took on flesh and, and he took on our sin on the cross. That innocent, pure baby will live a righteous life and die for you and for me. And I was just thinking about looking at my own kids. Reminded, reminded when, when Ayla came up, here, came up here. That when you look at a baby, I mean, that really is the, the picture of innocence. Right? Um, until they're about like four, four months or something. Then, then like, okay. My wife will call them uh, vipers and diapers. So they, they'll, they get there. But ignoring that. You look at this baby, and you, and you see this, this innocence. And I just, of course, we would never think of looking at a baby and like, this baby is going to die for, for evil people. Now, that is, is shocking to think of, right? An innocent baby dying for evil people. How much more shocking is it that not just an innocent baby, but a man who lived righteously, did nothing wrong, right? Opposite, he did everything right. And... A man who is God himself, man who, uh, who is deity incarnate, dying for sinners. I think the, the shock there should be that much more tremendous. And I think at times we don't, we don't have the right balance. That we, we look at innocence and think that that should, that should be protected, which it should be. But then we look at righteousness and God himself, the, the never sinning, taking on our sin, that's infinitely worse. So that's what we see with babe, this precious baby in the manger. His innocence and his righteousness is laid upon us while he takes on our wickedness. And that's why Jesus came. That's why we have, when we look at, at the, the baby in a manger, it, it should impact us uh, at such a great level because he came to save us from our sins. 
Now I want to highlight another reason why Jesus came, and it's in, in this passage, or in the next chapter, I should say. I want to highlight another reason why ba- Jesus came as a baby, why this baby Jesus came. And um, he did come to save us, but it didn't stop there. He also came to reign over us. He came to be king. So read with me chapter 2. I'm going to read the first three uh, passages here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, so we'll talk about the Magi in a moment. I mean, there, there are these, um, these, these scholars and astronomers, astrologers, some people say magicians, um, from the east, and they, and they see a star, and they, and they, they have some Old Testament uh, exposure. They know what the star means. And so they come, they come searching uh, for, for the king of the Jews, and, and they, come, they ask Herod. Now, look at how Herod reacts. When they ask Herod, he reacts in a pretty interesting way. He, he is at first troubled. He doesn't like the sound of this, that there is this king of the Jews. And I think the reason why he's troubled is that he's been ruling over Judea for a while already. He's been ruling over Judea, and he probably thinks himself as the king of the Jews. So what he hears, when, when he hears of this prophesied king, he's threatened. His position as the king over Judea is, is threatened. In fact, he is so threatened that king is going to commit some pretty heinous atrocities. Uh, we see in later in chapter 2, he's going to uh, order that many boys, two years, two years old and under, will, will be slaughtered. He's going to order that just because he's so threatened. And, and keep looking at that verse. Look at verse 3. So not only does this baby in a major trouble Herod, but it also troubles old Jerusalem. So I always thought that was weird. Okay, Herod, you can kind of understand, right? Herod, he, he wants to hold on to his position of power. Yet Jerusalem, which is, you know, here are these Jews, this prophesied king, this Messiah, and there's news that, that this, this, this baby is born, and they are troubled. Why would they be troubled? Well, one line I thought is that they knew Herod was so, so um, uneasy. was so uneasy that anything could set him off. So they didn't, they didn't even want to pursue this. And, and so they're really seeking their own comfort. Right? They didn't want Herod to, to get too upset. They didn't want Herod to do what he did, which is kill you know, hundreds of, of two-year-olds and, and, and younger. They didn't want to do anything to set him off. So rather than being excited that someone's going to come to save them, they said, well, let's just ignore this. And it's not that they didn't know who he was. Right, look at verse 4 and 6. Uh, verse 4, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, okay, so these are the chief priests. They didn't know. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this, for this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, 
land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew exactly who this baby is. But such a classic Israel move, and I think one of our classic moves. I'm I, I reminded of, of Israel when they're in the desert. They, they went out of Egypt. It wasn't that long that they were in the, in the desert that they were, they were daydreaming of the comfort they had back in Egypt. Right? They wanted to go back to Egypt rather than trust in their God. And we're seeing something really similar here. They wanted the comfort of not, not getting Herod angry. And so rather than saying, our Messiah is here, our Messiah is here, and rejoicing, they, they, they tried to, in a sense, bury it and, and so that Herod wouldn't too, get too upset. So Herod and the people in Israel, to them, this baby boy was a threat to their current way of living. But this is exactly one of the reasons why Jesus came. He came to be our king. And we sing about it, right? In the first Noel, remember that, that song? Uh, we sing, born is a king of Israel over and over again. And that king of Israel has massive implications to our lives. If you, if you look at baby Jesus for who he is, if you look at that, that baby as the one who will reign, as the one to whom every knee will bow, this birth of the son of God is, is a challenge to us, to, to our autonomy, to our self-ruling, I think about it this way. In our own selfishness and pride, in our, in our simple way of, of thinking, we'd much rather be on our own thrones. In, our, in, in what we say in our, in our everyday language, in the decisions we make throughout the day, we very, very often look out for ourselves, and we are concerned with our own self-righteousness, with our own glory, with our own self-control, that we want to be the ruler of our own kingdom. Now, Jesus had not come, we would be stuck in that. We would be trying to make everything about ourselves to be our own king. And unfortunately, we deal with this still. I, I, I think about in, in marriages when, when, when we fight with our spouse and and choose not to prefer them, right? We're, we're becoming, we, we want to be the king of our own kingdom, right? We want to rule our own kingdom. We see this in relationships. When we want the relationship to be about us. When we sin, we ignore God's command and decide to follow our own law. And I dare say we can even do this with Christmas. I think Christmas, there is a temptation, especially now with COVID time, to say that what we did last year, our traditions that we do every year, that is a must this year and we will do nothing or we will stop at nothing to make sure we get those traditions so so we want to rule our our own plans we want to be in control of things but this baby in this manger challenges that but not only challenges that but he frees us from that and he frees us from our own tyranny this baby in the manger came to reign over you he dethrone you from being the ruler of your own kingdom and praise the Lord for that. He praise the Lord for that. He came to reign over our hearts and what a good king he is. We read this morning from Isaiah 9. Just a, a couple of things from there that 
that with God as king, there will be no end to his government of peace. That doesn't sound like a kingdom I could do. That he will uphold righteousness and justice. That his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. This baby is a good king. And we see how good he is just by looking at, 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 at his life. Right? This baby grows up. This baby was born here to die, right? to die on the cross. And we know love by this, that Jesus, li- Jesus laid down his life for us. The love that our king has for us is manifested on the cross. And this little baby boy, the prophesied king, will die on our behalf. And it's just, I was tempted to make another point here, but I'll just mention it quickly. And our, our king not only died for our sins, but our king also died so that we would reign with him. Isn't that amazing? That we, being rulers of our own kingdom, being being corrupt rulers and, and wanting to do things for ourselves, Jesus not only dethrones us, but sanctifies us, and we will reign with him in the future. I think that is just grace upon grace upon grace. Now, I want to look back at our passage. How do you react to the news of the king being born? And in this passage, we see a few ways of how people react. You could react like Herod. You could react like Herod, where this baby is a threat. It's threatening your autonomy. It's threatening, it's threatening you as you refuse to give up your throne. When you cling to sin, when you refuse to repent, you're, you're acting like Herod. We feel threatened and that our own rule is coming to end. And if that's you this morning, if you feel that when, when, when you hear not just baby Jesus, baby, looking at baby Jesus, it's easy to, to ignore that. But looking at that baby Jesus who will grow up and become king and will demand of you to, to bow the knee to him, that becomes a little bit more threatening. If you feel that this morning, then I beg you that you will lay down your arms and you surrender to this good king. And maybe you're like the people in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem, they knew who this king was. They knew what scripture said about it. But they would much rather serve another than, and remain comfortable than to submit to the prince of peace. I think this baby in a manger does more than just remind us of Christmas, does more than, 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 than bring us hope and joy, which it does. But I think there's this aspect of it that, that we could be challenged. That a king is born and, and God with us. And, and the, the positive side of that is that, that God will not forsake us. That he will not reject you. That if you cast out your idols this morning and trust in the goodness of God, the goodness of our king, he will not reject. Now, there's one other people that we haven't looked at in the story, and that's the Magi. So remember, the Magi come, they're looking for Herod, or they're looking for the king. They're asking, not just the king, but they're asking everybody, uh, where is is he who has been born king of the Jews? So let's look at what happens to them in in verse verse 7 here. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Jerusalem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. 
And hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had been seen in, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening the treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. When you see that story, you can see the Magi had a, a choice to make. They could either choose to submit to the worldly rule of Herod and do what he said, or they could bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they chose to fall down before the baby Jesus because they knew who he was. They trusted the scriptures. They trusted who he was. And they knew this king will be reigning, not just over Israel. They knew this king is going to be reigning over the world. Isaiah 11 says this, that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. The nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. These magi trusted. They trusted in the scriptures and submitted to the king as soon as they saw him. I think we were faced with a similar dilemma in our everyday lives. I think we're faced with a dilemma in, in our Christmas season. Do we submit to the Lord of Lords or do we keep ourselves on the throne? And I think when we see the nativity scene, we're, we're looking at the coming king who, who came not just to free us from tyranny of sin, which he did, and we praise the Lord, but he came to reign over us as the prince of peace. And as a magi did, so we do. We're, we fall before our Lord in worship. We do that right before we, we came here, uh, right before I, uh, I came up and started preaching. We do that in our songs. These songs that we sing, is, is, they're, not, they're not Christmas carols that we just sing because of the season. We do it out of worship because we are submitting to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We worship him as our king whom, whom God highly exalted, and he bestowed the name above every other name. is that baby that we So, two reasons. Two reasons why we, Jesus came to earth. One reason, he came to, to save us from our sins. And the second reason, he came to reign over us. Like I said in the beginning, there's so much more here. Uh, you dive into the scriptures, it's just the enormity of that truth just keeps compounding as you study scriptures. But, but just these two reasons alone, uh, cause us to bow before him in worship. So I'll give you two reasons, and I want to close with two questions. First question, very simple question. Do you know Jesus? Do you trust in him as your Savior? Do you submit to him as your Lord? Um, if you don't believe that, you look at that baby. That baby came because we are all sinners. And that baby came because we needed a savior. Each time you see a nativity scene this, this season, let it be a reminder of your need for a savior and a reminder of how much God loves you to send you a savior. And because of that need, we know that baby grew up. That baby grew up holy and righteous. 
and yet died on the cross, taking our sins on, on uh, taking our sins upon Himself and giving us His righteousness. Now we talk about joy and good tidings. This is where joy and good tidings come from. It is because we ultimately have hope because we have peace with the Father through the Prince of Peace. My second question is also a simple question. Is your Christmas season marked with worship? Is your Christmas season marked with worship? There are so many good things about Christmas. I listed a few of them earlier. Right, there's family, traditions that we, you have, cookies. All those things are good things. But those things do not compare to, to the joy that we have when we see a, that precious baby in the manger, where we see our Savior has indeed come to save us. We see that baby, and we know that God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us so that we can have eternal life. What else can we do during Christmas? What else is more important but to worship him and to honor him as our Savior, as the Lord of lords? Let's pray. Father, we want to lift you up, Lord, as who you are, rightfully, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, Father, and we, we submit to you, Lord. Lord, we do not want to hold anything back for ourselves. Father, help us to see when we do that, help us to see that, that the, the times where, where we want to be on the throne. And Lord, help us to, to, to rejoice, to truly rejoice in the fact that our sins are lo, no longer on us. Father, we praise you, Lord, you are so good, so gracious, such immense love that you have for us that, that you would send your, your son to die for us. And we, we remember that as we look at, at, at this baby in the manger, Lord. But Father, we praise you and we thank you for our time in the word and just ask that you would continue making these truths uh, all the more real to us or show us our sin all the more clearly so that we could have a, a, a deeper joy in what you've done. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please stand with us one more time. We're going